series, an in-depth series um, called The Three Personalities of Apostasy. And uh, that's taken uh, out of the book of Jude, uh, verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Of course, we haven't gotten that to that text yet. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, that we would begin with several necessary introductory thoughts. And so Sunday morning, uh, we offered a vindication of biblical judging. Amen. If we are passive or afraid to meticulously try to prove, to judge all things according to the Scripture, then we will surely be sifted. Amen. And that, that's why so many people in this hour, they succumb to another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel, amen? So tonight we're going to begin considering another important introductory thought. It's highly unlikely that we can accurately discern another gospel if we haven't yet firmly defined the biblical gospel, amen? So this evening we're going to take a moment and ask ourselves an important question. How might we define the gospel? And uh, on the surface, that might seem to be a rather simple question, but uh, it is a bit more complex and far more multi-layered than it might first seem, amen? So we'll be citing many scriptural passages, but uh, we'll just open with one verse, turn to the gospel of Mark, the Great Commission, Mark 16 and 15. Mark 16 and 15, and he said unto them, go, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. Our second introductory thought here, defining the gospel, and this will be part one. We'll finish, Lord willing, on Sunday. Father, we do thank you. We rejoice in the gospel. We're thankful, Lord God, for your saving power, that it is the power to salvation, Father God. We do pray, Lord God, that you would teach us according to thy word to see things rightly, Father God, to be in agreement, absolute and full agreement with thy word, Father. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Everyone say amen. So actually, the gospel is a term that is used for a number of things in Christianity. The word is used for one or more, four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these or the four Gospels, as we refer to them, amen? As we know, the term gospel comes from the Greek word, euanglion, is that how that's pronounced, amen? Something about like that, but we know that it means good message, or good tidings, or good news, amen? With this definition in mind, the biblically illiterate, the apostates, contrary to what the Scriptures you know, plainly teach, have mindlessly assumed the gospel must be popular. The gospel must be always well-received. If something is offensive or something provokes anger, it cannot be the gospel, they reason, because it always will, you know, be received without qualification. Even amongst the most sinful, the most reprobate people, this is an unfortunate an erroneous understanding. 
I contend the word gospel literally meaning good news only tells us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good, holy, virtuous, and right. And to this, any real Christian must agree. Hence, the, the Bible's defining the gospel as good news. Amen. That's not wicked man's perception. That's God's declaration. Amen. The gospel, according to God, is good news, whether men believe it or not, or whether they hate it or not, whether they bow their knee, amen, or whether they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. It's still good. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we're going to take some time here in the Bible and we're going to see what the scriptures say about the gospel. And so in these two messages, I propose to specifically address four gospel categories. Number one, first, the marrow, what I'm going to call the marrow of the gospel. Secondly, the broader view of the gospel. Thirdly, the conditions of the gospel. And finally, the practical preaching of the gospel. And so tonight we're going to discuss the first two, and Lord willing, Sunday we'll address the second two. Now, may I ask you to turn to a few, because I've got a lot of scripture here. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. What we find here is the marrow, the marrow of the gospel. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, lest ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now this is considered the most narrow biblical definition of the gospel here in 1 Corinthians 15. uh, The word gospel is used very precisely by the Apostle Paul for the central doctrines of Christianity, namely concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so this is what we will refer to as the marrow of the gospel, amen? And this is how Brother Charlie phrased it. I don't know if this was in Sunday school. I was asking him some questions, and he sent this to me. The good news concerning all that God has graciously done through the finished work of Jesus Christ, that man may be justly restored to fellowship with him, and conform to the image of his Son to the end that God would be eternally glorified in and through his church. Again, this is a narrow definition of the gospel, and it centers on the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and especially his atoning work at Calvary. Contained therein are essential truths at the very heart of the atonement, the cross, the blood, the substitutionary death, the burial, the triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so declaring Jesus Christ and him crucified is to point lost, humbled, and sinful humanity to the finished work of Christ as the absolute only remedy for sin. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. And no one can be born again, amen, 
No one can be born again without believing, embracing, amen, this marrow of the gospel. No one can be converted without identifying with, focusing upon the Lord Jesus and his atoning work as the absolute object of their faith. On no other ground can we be justified. On no other ground can we be forgiven. On no other ground can we be delivered from sin. So the sole foundation for our reconciliation to God is the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Amen. We all believe that. Somebody say yes. Amen. So as Paul declared, it's by this gospel preached and by this gospel received and maintained that men are first born again and also they stand in the spirit. However, allow me to bring your attention again to 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. So the apostles' use of the word first clearly indicates there is an order of presentation. Gospel preaching doesn't begin with the resurrection, but with how Christ died for our sins. Then in the middle of verse 3, picking up how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures so that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So the phrases according to the scriptures allows a broad application of scriptural truth regarding who Jesus is, why he had to die, that he did indeed die, amen, and now he lives again resurrected. And notice, amen, and we're going to delve much deeper in this uh, on Sunday. Our sins is mentioned there. So our sins, and first of all, how Jesus died for what? For our sins, amen. According to biblical theology, our sins is one of the first issues that must be confronted in gospel preaching. Remember that. We're going to revisit that as we move ahead. The following words of Jesus from Luke's gospel confirms and somewhat expands on the marrow of the gospel. Luke 24, 45 through 49, and I'll just read these to you. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise, my Father, unto you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And so the repentance of sins, that is part of the gospel, more specifically, a condition. Amen? And we're going to address repentance very thoroughly uh, on Sunday, but uh, that means compunction or guilt of sin leading to a reversal. It means literally a change of mind, including a moral reformation. Amen? You change your mind about sin, your conduct is going to follow. Amen? You change your will towards sin, your conduct is going to reflect that. Remission of sin means forgiveness. It means pardon for sin, as well as the release 
from its bondage or the deliverance from sin and liberty, the freedom from sin via the atonement of Christ is part of the gospel. And thank God it is. Somebody say amen. So I'm not saved by ceasing from sin. Ceasing from sin is a result of the gospel, but it is part of the gospel declaration. And if anybody says otherwise, they are speaking for the devil. Amen. Here Jesus presents a very similar summary of the gospel as we read in 1 Corinthians 15. Repentance and remission of sin is cited by the Lord Jesus, which essentially covers the biblical truth of our sins, if you will. As I mentioned, we'll delve more deeply into this on Sunday, but repentance and remission of sins encompasses almost everything the Bible teaches about sin, its bondage, its consequences, and the divine remedy. Within these two gospel essentials, amen, the repentance of sin and the remission of sin are the great Bible doctrines of the fall of man, God's moral law, justification, entire sanctification, etc., and so forth. Although this indeed is the marrow of the gospel, amen, this marrow does not fully define the biblical gospel, though, as we're going to see here. In fact, many people falsely believe that to preach the gospel demands an exclusive declaration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But the Bible does not bear that out, amen? So the next thing we're going to see here tonight is the broader view of the gospel. Romans 1, 1 through 6, amen? You can turn there with me. Romans 1, 1 through 6. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. So popular notions about the term gospel tend to absolutely limit it to the death the burial and the resurrection of Christ. But this is not true. Notice here in the introduction of Romans, Paul uses the term gospel in a very broad sense, including all the truths about Christ in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He mentions the gospel in verse 1, concerned, concerning the Old Testament revelation about Christ in verse 2, his kingly lineage in verse 3, the spirit of God's role in the resurrection in verse 4. Amen. Paul's apostleship to the Gentiles in verse 5. Amen. You skip down to verses 16 and 17, Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, 
For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So again, he is using the term gospel here as he introduces this letter written to Christians at Rome. Amen, are you hearing me? These are not sinners that he is writing to. So it's clear the apostle is not limiting his thoughts to initial salvation. For Paul, his gospel included such matters as justification by faith, chapters three through five, sanctification uh, by the Spirit, verses six through eight, or rather verses uh, chapters six through eight, and God's future for Israel, chapters nine through 11. In fact, the gospel, in a very general sense, gathers, gathers together all the truths that are found in the book of Romans. Again, consider Romans 16 and 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. To establish you according to my gospel. And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. So here in verse 25 of chapter 16, uh, amen, the word here demonstrates that discipleship truth is part of Paul's gospel, amen? In Romans, what we see here is Paul defending the gospel that he preached both to the heathen as well as the churches that he established. The word gospel occurs 21 times, amen, in the four gospels. And then it's also mentioned in the book of Acts, amen? And all these usages in the gospels and the book of Acts, amen, obviously that word is associated with the narrow message of salvation. However, the word gospel is also used 74 times in the remainder of the New Testament. And in many cases, the definition is left ambiguous. In other words, the context of the use of the word gospel cannot be irrefutably established as exclusively the basic salvation message. On the other hand, there are more than 20 uses of the word gospel that are clearly associated with something other than an evangelistic message. In many of these cases, the word gospel is used to represent the new covenant, or if you will, the gospel covenant. And so there, when you read through the epistles many times, the word gospel, you read it in context, it cannot mean Amen, the, uh, just the initial salvation message, but speaks uh, rather of the gospel covenant or the new covenant, amen, which signifies the full scope of Christian instruction and discipleship. Another proof text for the broader view of the gospel is found in Revelation 14. So turn there with me. Some of you may remember I preached on this many, many years ago. And God spoke to me along these lines out of this chapter. It's the way that God dealt with me about the gospel, seeing that it wasn't just the mentioning of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Revelations 14, 6 through 11. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, 
and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. There followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations to drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So here we have these angelic messengers, amen, in the midst of heaven, not, not fallen, fallible men, who are apt to err, amen? I doubt very seriously, or rather, I do not believe it was possible for them not to perfectly communicate what God wanted, amen? So surely we can trust that their declaration was accurate and appropriate, amen? So these angels, amen, said to be declaring what the scriptures refer to as the everlasting gospel, Amen, meaning the eternal gospel, the immutable gospel, the unchanging gospel message. Surely the everlasting gospel can be applied to all gospels. Somebody say amen. amen. The passage plainly tells us in detail what was said. Amen, yet there's no mention of the cross. There is no mention of the blood. There is no mention of the death of Jesus or the burial of Christ or his resurrection. In fact, amen, though the word lamb is mentioned, not even the name of Jesus is mentioned here, amen. Now, I'm going to give you a fuller explanation on Sunday, but suffice us to conclude, these topics here, or the marrow of the gospel, were not mentioned by the angelic messengers, somebody say amen. amen, to assert that they were, but they're not mentioned is the grossest breach of interpretive integrity. Amen. If I can add to the scriptural transcript here of this sermon, or I can take away from it, then I can add and take away, amen, from any recorded sermon in the Bible. Amen. What would you think of me if I, you know, was preaching and expounding on the Sermon on the Mount and then said, yeah, and I believe Jesus said this when it isn't recorded there. Somebody say amen. So here's where our hermeneutics or our principles of Bible interpretation are put to the test. Amen. We must approach the scriptures with the presupposition that God's word is both infallible and without contradiction. Where there, wherever there is a seeming contradiction, amen, they can be reconciled. Somebody say amen. amen. So we are, allow, we are to allow the scriptures to define and interpret themselves. 1 Corinthians 2 and 13, we are to compare spiritual things with spiritual. So if our understanding of the gospel is limited to only the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and then we read Revelations 14, 6 through 11, 
And that says that the gospel is being declared. Yea, even the everlasting gospel is being declared. And it was preached by angels, amen, sent from heaven. Amen. But these things that I believe, amen, are essential or the marrow of the gospel are not mentioned, then I'm faced with a theological conflict. Do you see that? Amen. If I believe the gospel, amen, as defined by scripture, is only limited to the burial, amen, or the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and I read Revelations 14, then there is a conflict. So how should this interpretive conflict be reconciled, amen? So, so remember, in, in Bible hermeneutics, there are two basic interpretive principles. One that tends to error, and that's isogesis. The other is the, uh, 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 arriving at the right, amen, understanding, and that is called exegesis. Everyone reading the Bible is using one of those two approaches to extract the meaning of the text. There's no way escaping that. You're either approaching the Bible with isogesis or exogesis in your interpretive, as your interpretive principle, amen? So isogesis means to impose or to insert from without, to take my theological presuppositions and to oppose them impose them on the text. While exegesis is to draw out the meaning, relying on the original context of a biblical passage to determine that passage's meaning. That means simply, amen, that I allow the Bible to correct my presuppositions. So it's simply one or the other. I'm either imposing my opinions on the Bible or the Bible is establishing my opinions, amen? So back to our interpretive dilemma. If we believe the gospel is limited to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but Revelations 14, 6 to 11, which is clearly defined as declaring a declaring of the everlasting gospel, yet these fundamentals are not mentioned, amen, we can either practice isogesis, which would be to impose our understanding on the text, claiming the absolutely absurd and irresponsible idea that though these things are not mentioned, they had to be preached because that is our theological presupposition. Or we can practice exegesis, which is to allow the scriptures to clarify and to interpret themselves. Amen. Correcting our theological presuppositions and expanding our definition of the gospel. Do you hear? Amen. And that, that really, that, that principle there is in everything we read. Amen. This, you, 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 you say, well, you know, well, the gospel is preached, so my idea of the gospel is uh, A, B, and C, so they had to say that. You're going to get very, very deceived if you interpret the Bible that way. Amen. That is pitiful. Uh, it's evil. It is not submitted to the word of God. It is not allowing the scriptures to be Lord or the ultimate authority. Another consideration, the Bible clearly says that the gospel was preached to individuals under the old covenant. For example, Galatians 3 and 8. You know, my point here is obviously, if the Bible said the gospel was preached to them, the gospel was preached to them. 
And if we can determine that, you know, those things, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is not clearly communicated, then that gives us a broader view of the gospel, amen, or the definition of what God, the gospel is. But Galatians 3 and 8 says, In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now, see how convenient that is? Because the New Testament, the Holy Ghost of the New Testament, gives us the very message, amen, that supposedly the God, or obviously the gospel was preached, but we can go right to that, you know, moment when the word of the Lord came to Abraham and see what was said. So uh, it was given in Genesis 15, uh, 4 through 5, amen, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying this, shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. So, now obviously, hear me, under the old covenant, it's true, the marrow of the gospel certainly revealed in types and shadows. But there is no direct mention of Jesus or his atoning death, burial, and resurrection, amen, in this word of the Lord that came to Abraham that the New Testament said the gospel was preached to him, amen. The inspired writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4 and 2, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And yet we find no record of Moses' preaching, though filled with new covenant implications and certainly, amen, typology of Christ and his atoning work. But there's nothing directly citing what we're calling the marrow of the gospel. Amen. Matthew's gospel irrefutably establishes that Jesus himself preached the gospel. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And we know that Jesus did foretell it. I really, I ran out of time. I wanted to chart it. Really just go through all four gospels and chart it. Now I did find some numbers. I don't know, for, I didn't verify Amen, if these were, you know, absolutely accurate. They seem accurate to me that only three times Jesus told his disciples, meaning, you know, the whole progressive marrow of the gospel, death, burial, resurrection. And they didn't understand it anyway because they had to have their understanding opened and that illumination later, amen. But we do know that Jesus did foretell, and, I, and I'm not saying he didn't, he did foretell of his atoning death, his burial and resurrection. And for the most part, that was exclusively to his disciples, amen. And he did speak of these things publicly as well. As you remember, the Pharisees remembered, amen, he said, if you tear this temple down, I'll raise it up in three days. And they were worried about the, you know, the resurrection of Christ, amen. However, for all Jesus's recorded public ministry, the majority of his interaction with common people, he did not mention his death, 
burial, and resurrection, and certainly not coherently, progressively together. Yet who would accuse Jesus of not preaching the gospel, for he is the gospel? Amen. You remember the rich young ruler who came bowing down. How might I inherit eternal life? Amen. It would seem by, you know, modern evangelicals, they probably would be rebuking him if they were there because he said, you know the commandments. Amen. And when he said, well, I keep the commandments and he knew that he didn't, he just said, you sell everything you have. He pinpointed, knew what was in his heart, sell everything and follow me. And the man walked away very sad and Jesus let him ferment under the law. He didn't chase after him and, and try to get him to say a sinner's prayer, amen? And so, but no one is going to accuse him of not preaching the gospel. And I'm gonna explain this in uh, the final point, amen? Finally, we have the record of the apostles preaching the gospel throughout the book of Acts. And a careful examination reveals that they did not always mention the basic elements of the salvation message. Amen. And if you look through the book of Acts, you'll see really in many occasions they did not, or they only mentioned some things. Amen. Other times they are just flat rebuking people. Amen. A careful examination reveals, amen, that they did not always declare what we consider to be the marrow of the gospel message, but they were always appropriate. And that's an important word that we're going to look into on Sunday. So we conclude in defining the gospel, though we acknowledge the marrow of the gospel, which we agree is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. No one can get born again without those things. Amen? And, and that is the, no one can get really right with God. It's, it's like when Romans 1 says that no man has an excuse. Why don't they have an excuse? Because they have the two intrinsic testimonies of nature and conscience. But nobody can get saved with only the revelation of God via nature and conscience. But it's enough to make you culpable. It's enough to make you guilty. Amen. So we also must concede there is a legitimate broader definition of the gospel in the scriptures. And we're going to stop here. Amen. And we're going to finish on Sunday. And on Sunday, we're going to address the conditions of the gospel. And there's a lot of confusion about that, a lot of confusion about repentance and what that means. I, I don't see how people get confused about it, but we're going to cover that. And then finally, the practical preaching of the gospel. Amen. Praise God. Let's stand here tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. Won't you lift your hands and just... Thank Jesus for the gospel. We love you, Lord. We're so thankful for truth. We're thankful, Lord, for the word. Father God, we're thankful for the gospel. Lord, that you would settle us, you would establish us in this truth, Lord, that we'd not be moved from the words of God, that we would love you, that we would love thy word, Father, love thy revelation. We ask you, Lord God, to keep us, fill us with thy spirit. Cause us to be a witness, Father, a bright and a shining light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We do love you. Keep us here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Praise God. Give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Amen. God bless you. We will gather on Sunday.